Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We'll be finishing the Gospel of John this morning. Next weekend, we're going to start the book of Colossians, which we're really excited about, so you can read ahead on the book of Colossians. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the God of redemption, the God of restoration, and we we hear that in Bridge Hope's ministry, and we see that in our lives. We experience that in our lives. We see that in Peter's life. We just pray that your grace would abound in our hearts and our lives, and that you would pour out that restoration afresh in us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite phrases to hear is this, is it's time for dinner. It's time for dinner. You know, I really married up. Uh, My wife Amber is just a wonderful gift uh, to me. She's beautiful and she makes some wonderful meals for for us as, as a family that I readily enjoy. And now my two oldest daughters have taken on the tradition, and they, they cook well and, and enjoy cooking, and then I like to cook. It doesn't turn out as well, but it's just a fun time when the six of us gather together around the table and enjoy one another. Sometimes it's chaotic and fun, and other times it's deep and meaningful. And we find here in Peter's life that Jesus invites him to come and dine. Peter had denied the Lord. He had done what he never thought that he would do. He found himself in a place saying things that he never thought he would say. Denied the Lord three times. And thankfully, Jesus, in his love for Peter, continued to go to the cross for him, to die for him, to rise again. In Mark 16, one of the angels testifying of the resurrection of Christ said, Go tell the disciples and Peter of my resurrection. If Christ does not rise from the dead... Peter is dead in his sins. Peter desperately needs to experience the forgiveness of God in a tangible way, the restoration of God in a tangible way. And the resurrected Savior is in the business of restoring lives. And we get the privilege of of reading this together this morning. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, And in this way, he showed himself. The Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. It's another name for the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. Jesus had told the disciples, after my resurrection, I want you to go to Galilee and wait uh, for me there. And the disciples were faithful uh, to do that. In verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two other of his disciples were together. So seven of the disciples hanging out together. One of the things that we find with the disciples, even after the death and resurrection of Christ, is they continued to spend time together. So they're together at the Sea of Galilee. Peter's got an idea, which is always scary when Peter has an idea. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going fishing also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Peter grew up as a fisherman, also with John. They're on the Sea of Galilee. That's how they provided for themselves and for uh, their families. Jesus, however, had called Peter out of fishing. 
In Luke chapter 5, it's a real foundational text to what we see here in John 21. Jesus was teaching at the Sea of Galilee, using the water as a natural way to project his voice. And then his attention was upon Peter and said, Peter, I want you to, to go ahead, to go out into the deep and to cast your net. Peter's response is, well, we've been fishing all night long and we've come up empty. Why would we go back out and cast our net? But Peter went ahead and took Jesus up on his invitation and there was this huge catch. Peter was so overwhelmed by the blessing, the kindness, the grace of Christ that he said to Jesus, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. You ever felt that way? God just blesses you and you're like, I don't deserve this blessing and almost respond in a way of saying, well, just depart from me, Jesus. But Jesus looks at Peter and says, I I want you to follow me. I want you to be a fisher of men. Luke tells us that Peter forsook all and he followed Christ. But at this point, things are not going the way that Peter had anticipated. He's dealing with his own failure. He's dealing with the fact that he's denied the Lord, that he hasn't lived up to his own standard and his own desire. So it's easy for him to say, I'm going to go back to what I've known my whole life, and that is fishing. Three years with Jesus, but a whole life of fishing. Here we are at the Sea of Galilee. I don't see Jesus. I know he's resurrected, but I don't see him right now. So so I'm going to go back to, to fishing. And in times, especially in personal failure, in sin, when we find ourselves as God's children getting involved in things that we know we shouldn't, it's easy to go to a place of, I'm going to go back to things that God has called me out of. And it may be sinful things. It may be in those moments to start to abuse alcohol. It may be to engage in pornography. It may be to go ahead and worship your career and sell yourself out to money and those type of things. We all have things that God has has called us out of that at times we go back to. Notice what the experience is for the disciples as they're up all night and they're fishing the other six disciples go with Peter, is they don't catch anything. They're empty-handed. And God graciously allows that in Peter's life where he doesn't catch anything. And when we go to pursue those things that God has called us out of, let me tell you, we're not going to catch anything. There's not going to be meaning and and fulfillment found in the abuse of alcohol. There isn't going to be meaning and fulfillment found in a relationship outside of what God has has blessed inside of marriage. There's there's not going to be fulfillment found in that pornography. There's not going to be fulfillment found in the lust of more stuff. That house can't satisfy. That car can't can't satisfy. We're going to come up empty-handed. And Peter he comes up empty-handed. We find there in verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. The Sea of Galilee is absolutely beautiful, especially at sunrise. Most trips to Israel, just the way that the tours go, is you land in Tel Aviv, you spend one night along the Mediterranean, and then you have your second night at the Sea of Galilee where you're severely jet-lagged. With jet lag, you tend to wake up really early in the morning. So you go out to the Sea of Galilee and you watch the, the sunrise. And it's a big lake as you're looking out across it. 
And so picture a beautiful sunrise as the risen Savior is there to pursue Peter, to take him out of his darkness, to bring redemption and to bring restoration in his life. In verse 5, then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. This is the only time that we see Jesus addressing his disciples as children. It's an interesting moment, an interesting word that Jesus would address them as children. I don't think that Christ is being condescending. I think he is affirming his love to the disciples and especially to Peter. He's saying, son, I'm here for you. I'm pursuing you. And we oftentimes think that our resurrected Savior that he pushes us away when we fail, but he does the exact opposite. He pursues us when we fail. He pursues us when we're in a place of sin and a place of of darkness, and he says, son, daughter, and he loves us enough to point out our emptiness. Hey, guys, how did the fishing go? Do you have any food? Do you have what you're, you're looking for? This would be the question, I think, that God would bring before us as well. Do you have any food? And not just physical food, but how's the soul food? And is there emptiness inside of us? God will grant to us emptiness when we get away from the Lord, when we get distracted, when we start to pursue other things. We will begin to feel this emptiness because we're created with a void that can only be filled by Christ. So are you feeling that emptiness, you know? Or are you experiencing some abundance in Christ? And as we feel that emptiness, that's an indicator. I need to get back with the Lord. I need to be pursuing the Lord. I need to have him be first in my life. In verse six, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. This is a ludicrous instruction by Jesus. Just go ahead and put your net onto the other side of the boat. These are not large fishing vessels. This is not the Titanic on the Sea of Galilee. We're talking 10 to 15 feet wide. Logically, there's no difference from the right side to the left. If there's fish there, plus a big multitude of fish, they're going to come into the net whether you're on the right side or you're on the left side. But Christ is doing this to reveal himself, to manifest himself to the disciples, to give his, his direction to the disciples. And in this process of God restoring us, when we've gotten off track like Peter, and I'm talking to us as believers, is it's important to get to a place that we're ready to receive his direction. Sometimes we want his restoration. We go, Jesus, restore my life, but we don't want it to come underneath his direction. And the disciples here, they don't yet recognize that this is the Lord, but they're willing to follow the instruction. They're willing to say, okay, I'm gonna cast my net on the other side. And maybe you know an instruction that God has been given to you from the word, where he's been speaking to us from from the word, something that, that he's laid upon our hearts, but we're not yet to the place where we're ready to do what he said, to receive his instruction. So they cast it down on the other side, and now they have a multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, which is John, it is the Lord. 
And I love this. John has the wisdom. He's got the discernment, the intuition, the leading of the Holy Spirit to know what Peter really needs is to understand that that's the Lord on the shore. John could have announced it to all of them, but it's specific that he goes to Peter. Hey, Peter, it's the Lord. Church, we need Peter's in our lives, or excuse me, we need John's in our lives because we, like Peter, are gonna get off track. And in those moments that we're off track, it's so wonderful to have a John in our lives that says, hey, you need to get your focus back on the Lord. You need to go meet with the Lord. You need to go do business with Jesus. There's Jesus, he's right there, and he's pursuing you. You're not recognizing him in your life right now. There's different moments in time inside of our church that we emphasize small groups. Small groups have just launched. There's still a few small groups that are available. You know, men's and women's ministry is, is kicking off. There's, there's opportunity to serve inside of our church. And we encourage involvement in those things because that's what the Bible calls fellowship. That's what the Bible calls being in community. Investing in believers at your workplace Investing in believers in your neighborhood. It doesn't matter if they're believers from our church or other churches, but to be in relationship with believers because we're going to experience times like Peter and it's fellow believers that help us put our attention back on the Lord. And if we're isolated, we don't have the benefit of this experience. If Peter is by himself, he doesn't have the benefit of John pointing out it's the Lord. And sometimes we're on the receiving end of this, and sometimes we're on the giving end of this, where we get to go to a friend that we love and say, hey, it's the Lord. Jesus is here. He wants to meet with you. Let me point you to the Lord. And I love Peter's response here. Once he knows it's the Lord, now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. It seems as it's a a warm night on the Sea of Galilee, there in the Middle East, that the disciples would fish in their boxers, if you would. Why not, right? And so now that he sees this, the Lord, Peter's like, well, I better put my, my garment on, you know, before I have this meeting with the Lord. But he plunged into the sea, He could have said, well, let's take care of this fish first. There's a lot of fish, and this is what we've been looking for. And so I'm going to make sure that I am a good steward of this this fish. He could have said, let's row in to, to the shore. But he's so eager in his broken state to meet with the Lord that he just decides to swim for it. And he jumps in, and we picture Big Peter just swimming all the way to the shore to to meet with Christ. I had a chance to have lunch with a friend about a week and a half ago, and he was talking about this concept of falling up, that we all will fall in our relationship with the Lord, just like Peter, but when we do fall, do we fall into the arms of Jesus? Do we get up and run to our Savior, or do we get stuck in this place of condemnation and those feelings like, well, Jesus must not want anything to do with me. I'm done. My life is over. God could never use me. All of those lies that the enemy so quickly begins to put into our hearts and our minds that I'm sure Peter was wrestling with, and he went for it. He made that decision 
to seek out Christ. And if you find yourself in that place this morning where you're saying, I'm distant from Christ, or I've drifted from Christ, or I've rebelled from Christ, is I would encourage you, man, take the actions of Peter. Take the heart of Peter and plunge in and seek after Christ because he's seeking you and and fall up. Instead of falling away, fall up. Fall into the arms of Jesus. What's so different between Judas and Peter? Judas slipped into condemnation and hung himself. Condemnation is going to result in self-destruction. Beating ourselves up being driven away from Christ. And Peter didn't go down that road. Instead, he comes back to the Lord and receives the forgiveness of God. Now, verse eight, but the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, which is about 300 feet, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. So the other disciples are trying to get this huge catch in with their small boat and they get to the shore and they find a coals of fire and fish filleted on the fire. What they were looking for was at the feet of Jesus all along. <laughs> what Peter was looking for was at the feet of Jesus. What we're looking for is at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we seek it relationally We go, man, my need is going to be met through a specific relationship. And that's not the case. Another person cannot fill this need that only Christ can fulfill. Sometimes it's the need for validation. We're looking for people to affirm us, accept us. Nope, what we're really looking for is at the feet of Jesus. Maybe it's security, financial security. Say, I've got to have financial security. I got to tell you, that doesn't exist on this side of heaven. The security we're really longing for is, is at the feet of Jesus. Everything that we're longing for and that we need, it's provided at the, the feet of Jesus. Jesus is very strategic, systematic, planned ahead in this meeting with Peter because Peter fell away at a campfire, didn't he? His last denial of Jesus was around a fire where the enemies of Jesus were gathered and Peter found himself there. And Jesus, not by accident, says, Peter, I'm going to restore you where? At a campfire. (laughs) And this campfire is not one of hostility. It's one of love. It's one of grace. It's God preparing a meal for Peter that he didn't deserve. And that's how detailed God is in restoration, is he'll go to very personal details to allow us to know that we're forgiven and that we're restored by the Lord. In verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So Jesus said, let's add to this. Let's have a big feast. Simon and Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. <laughs> Now, there has been a lot of teachings on the fact that it's recorded that there's 153 fish. Symbolically, what does that mean? And allegories, and if you look at the numbers in Hebrew and you begin to count out the the letters of the numbers in Hebrew, then that gives you a specific meaning. I've heard teachings on John 21 that are solely focused on the 153 fish. Now, some of that may be true. 
There may be allegories and symbolism in this text. But you know we are reading about fishermen. And what do fishermen do? They record how many fish they catch. Have you ever talked to someone who's gone out fishing in the morning and say, hey, how, how did it go? Well, we caught seven fish. It was a great day. We caught two fish. It was okay. We didn't catch anything today. It was, it was miserable, right? So it could be that they're simply recording what God had done for them. Absolutely, the primary focus of the text is not the stinking fish, right? So you can enjoy that if you want, but I'm going to enjoy my resurrected Savior that's restoring Peter. The message of the 153 fish is God graciously provided for Peter even in his sinful and his fallen state. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast, come and dine. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. They all know that it's Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I want you guys to come and eat. Come and dine. Come, come and have breakfast with me. I'm sure you've probably considered this at different points of your life. Is, is God created us for the need to eat? Sometimes it would be nice if God created us a little bit more like an iPhone that we simply just plug into a charger, that we could go into silent do not disturb mode at nighttime, get all, all charged up, and not have to take the time to eat. But we do. Our bodies demand it of us to, to slow down and to take time to eat. And one of the things that we see is through eating is God enjoys fellowship with us. That God is the master of preparing a table. The marriage feast of the Lamb, Jesus is going to prepare a huge feast for us. Jesus loved to eat with his disciples. Loved to be in friendship and fellowship through eating together. So when we share a meal with people that we love, we need to see the deeper purpose in it. God's bringing us together through having to eat, and it's an opportunity to pursue each other's hearts, to pursue the things of God. And Jesus says, come on, let, let's eat. And Jesus has got an intentional agenda with this meal. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish, now is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. His attention now goes upon Peter. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, he said to him, feed my lambs. First, Jesus addresses Peter as Simon. Simon was his given name by his parents, and it means shifting sand. Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means rock. Right now, Peter's acting a lot more like a Simon than a Peter, and Jesus points that out. Simon, do you love me more than these? And this is when the Greek becomes really important there's several Greek words that we translate into one English word, love. And Jesus uses the Greek word agape. Do you agape me? And this is the highest level of love. 
This is a commitment that really can only be defined by God's love for us. And if we express agape-type love, it's the evidence of, of Christ inside of us. Jesus says, do you agape me more than these? Now, what are the these? Is he pointing to the fish? Because Jesus had called Peter out of fishing and Peter returned to fishing. Was it the other disciples? Because Peter said, even if these guys are made to stumble, I will remain faithful. Could Jesus have pointed to the fish and to the disciples? Both would have been appropriate. Peter's then response is, I phileo you. And phileo is a type of love that's affectionate type of love. It's the love that we see inside of a family. It's a strong type of love, but it's not anything compared to agape. And this is where we see a different Peter. Because Peter, prior to this moment, his estimation of himself would be, oh, Jesus, I love you, no doubt. I've got the agape love. In fact, I'm ready to die for you. But now he's humbled by his own failure. And this is something that is good if we allow God to bring humility out of our failure to where we're not so confident in and of ourselves. We're so, not so quick to, to say, yeah, I'm all in. We're, we're more apt to say, I know my own weakness and God, would, would you help me? And God, I phileo you. The conversation continues where Jesus says, then I want you to feed my lambs. If you love me, I've got a job for you to do. In the restoration of Peter, he's forgiven, but he's also commissioned. He's got something for Peter to do. He wants Peter to take care of the lambs, to feed the lambs. Jesus is calling Peter right here to be the first pastor of the first church. In the book of Acts, Peter's going to give a message where 3,000 people get saved. Why wouldn't Jesus be giving this commission to John? John's been faithful. Or some of the other disciples, but he goes to Peter who, who has failed. And maybe that's what we need to believe in our journey this morning of restoration and God's forgiveness that his restoration is so complete, it's so thorough, it's so good that he not only forgives us, but he says, I've got something for you. I want to use you. We think our past disqualifies us, but in the grace of God, it qualifies us. When you look at a work of restoration, a physical work of restoration, be it a house or, or a vehicle or some type of antique, there is a beauty in that that wasn't there when it was brand new. There's something about it where you go, that has the touch of someone's love and care. And when a life has been touched by the restoration of Jesus, we see a beautiful work upon our lives and it's for a purpose. It's for us to then express the love that we have for Christ towards the body of Christ. And we love one another because we love Jesus. We love a lost and dying world because we love Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I want you to feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep, which is shepherd my sheep. I want you to protect my sheep. I want you to make sure that my sheep are fed and loved and, and, and cared for. But the conversation continues. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? 
This time Jesus says, do you even phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. (laughs) Peter's grieved. His heart is broken because Christ has asked him this question three times. He's denied the Lord three times. But also, now Jesus is saying, hey, do you even have affection for me? Do you even like me? Do you like me the the way that you like your, your family? And Peter says, Lord, you know, in my integrity, in my honesty, this is where I'm at. I can't say that I agape you, but I can say that I phileo you. And check it out. Jesus goes, great, I'll take it. Let's go from there. Feed my sheep. Let's do it. If you like me, if you're affectionate towards me, then I love that. And I'm going to move you from that place forward. And we see Peter really moving into a deep commitment with the Lord that results in Peter being faithful even to the point of death and being a martyr. And sometimes I think for us, we have to, we feel this pressure of like, man, I've got to be at the agape level with Christ. And if I'm not at the agape level of Christ, then, then Jesus probably doesn't have anything to do with me, right? And Jesus is like, well, where are you at? Do you like me? Wonderful. I'll take it. Let's go from there. I've got a job for you to do. Let's start there. Let's say, you know what? I want to be affectionate towards Jesus. I want to like him. I want to I wanna phileo him. I want him to grab my attention and begin to love him in that place and trust that he's going to take me forward from there. So what does race, re- restoration look like? It, it looks like Christ forgiving us, but then also Christ saying, here, in my grace and in my forgiveness, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. Jesus speaks of the end of Peter's life. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger and girded yourself and walked where you wish, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. When you're young, you were able to take yourself where you wanted to go, but when you're old, Peter, they're going to take you to your death. And that's exactly what happened. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Christ, so he asked to be crucified upside down. God transformed Peter's life through his grace. Verse 19, then he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. This would be pretty overwhelming if you're Peter, don't you think? Jesus looks at you, and this is such an emotional moment of restoration. And then Jesus, in his wisdom, wanted to prepare Peter for his end and says, Peter, you're going you're gonna to die for me. You're, you're not going to go down this road of denying me again. You're going to be faithful. And then Jesus gives really practical instruction. Don't get worried about this. Don't, this is something you could really focus on the rest of your life. Like, I wonder when the death is coming. I wonder when the martyrdom is coming, right? Okay, Jesus said it was going to be when I'm old, so I guess I've got some time. Jesus says, I just want you to follow me. Follow me. Make it simple. Get behind me and, and follow me. And Peter's response, once again, is golden. It's just like us. Then Peter 
turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So he sees John. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? (laughs) Peter's gone, I just heard some really bad news. What about John? Like, does he just have easy street till he dies? Is he just going to have cruises on the Mediterranean? And here I am going to die a a martyr's death? Isn't that the way it is with suffering in our lives? We're like, man, look at my good buddy. I mean, John's his good buddy. Why is everything going good for him? Why is there no trials in, in his life, right? Why do I have, have this suffering where Christ has just told us, hey, focus on me, focus on me, fo- focus on me. Don't worry about someone else's race. Don't worry about their journey that God's called them to. Not that we don't love them and care for them, but don't compare it to what the Lord's doing in our lives. We have to trust that and continue to follow him. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. None of your business, Peter. Like, if I want John to stay alive till I come back, then then that's up to me. You just need to follow me. You just need to stay focused on me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This got misunderstood, misinterpreted, that the promise was John the disciple would stay alive till the second coming of Christ. So John clears that up. In verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John identifies himself saying, I am this disciple that's recorded this. And he gives us this great conclusion. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. All the books of the world could not contain all of the marvelous works of Christ. Church, come and dine. Come and dine this morning. And for some, it may be that the externals of your life, they're intact. You haven't went off track from an external perspective. But in your heart, you know that you have. In your heart, you know that it's been a long time since you've loved Christ and followed Christ and Jesus saying, look, come and dine. I want to restore you. I want to meet with you. For others, you might go, you know, I really have been at the enemy's campfire. And I got to tell you, Satan's all about this. Satan loves to get us off track with Jesus and get us in a place just like Peter where we never thought that we'd be. Maybe you've even denied the Lord. You've even gotten to a place where you've expressed, I don't know if I believe in in Jesus anymore. And the grace of God, the goodness of God, the resurrected Savior, he says, come and dine. Return to me. We're going to get off track. We're going to fall short. But the more important thing is, are we going to fall up into the arms of Jesus? To Peter's credit, When he saw the Lord, 
He's like, I need to be with him. I need to be with him right now. I'm going to jump in this water, and I'm going to swim, and I'm going to get this right with Christ. And I would encourage us to adopt that heart. As we sing this last song, there's going to be an opportunity to come back to the Lord. I always think it's good to respond in the moment. As you've been hearing this message, even from the moment that it began, you're like, that's me. I need to get right with the Lord. It's come, find someone on the ministry team. We'll be right down here in the front and say, I need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you need to take some time after this service and go for a drive in the mountains and get a one-on-one with Jesus. Maybe Jesus has got things all set up for you, for you and you're running away from a one-on-one with Jesus and you just might find your car broken down and you can't run from Christ and he's on the shore of your life saying, okay, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to have this, this one-on-one? Here I ran the other direction and I caught nothing and, and Jesus is, is welcoming me. But please hear this. He loves you. He loves me. He loves Peter. And he's all about the restoration for his glory. So let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love to put together broken pieces. In your masterpiece. It's so beautiful. Your work in in Peter's life is a testimony of your grandeur and your grace and our lives the same. We wish that we never got off track. We wish that we never ventured off to campfires that belong to the enemy. We wish we didn't get distracted, but we do. And so, Jesus, we come and dine And you have provided what we need through your broken body and your shed blood. You have invited us to your table, invited us to an appointment with you, a one-on-one. So may we live in and experience that restoration for the purpose then of being commissioned into what you have for us. So would you take your word and bring fruit in our lives in Jesus' name, amen.